Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Ryan Teague from Escaping the Ordinary Podcast and Feather and Finch. And today I have an incredible guest, Joel Elston from Barefoot Embedded. And we recently had Joel on about a year ago on the podcast and, and much has changed in his business and his personal life. And today we go through about all the vulnerabilities about his childhood. Also, the way the business has transitioned into what we see today and his creativity and his rebranding and all the things that come in between all of that. Joel Shields' vulnerabilities of understanding his personality and leaning more into that and also gives off huge practical tips to all the photographers out there that wanting to create more art that represents himself and also questioning the industry about the norms. So hope you enjoy today's episode, guys. If you are enjoying the podcast, I would absolutely love it if you could head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave a review and means so much to me. And also just a note, we're holding the Gold Coast Wedding Photography Workshop on the 12th of December, 2021. For all those local Gold Coast wedding photographers or Brisbane or Sunshine Coast based, it's going to be a full day immersive photography workshop in person, which is my favorite way of teaching. There's currently three tickets remaining. Love it if you head over to ryanteague.co. Check it out. You can check out the presets, e-courses and the in-person workshop there. Make sure you have a notepad and pen ready for today's episode because you're going to absolutely love it. So guys, want to welcome Joel from Barefoot Embedded and many other ventures today on the podcast. Absolute legend. He's been in the industry for a long time now. Many transitions and um, most of the photographers that are listening today, I'm sure they know Joel and know of his work and have seen um, the incredible stuff that he puts out there today. So I've been yeah, honored to know Joel for a few years now, probably four or five years from some of the workshops back in the day that used to teach. Seems like so long ago and really helped me find my footwork when I was really new in the industry and, and gave back. And we did a podcast about a year ago and I, I truly meant what I said, how like you're an inspiration and, and doing things your way, which we're going to dive into, my man. It's going to be a very vulnerable, I'm sure, episode today. And um, for all those listeners out there, you, you'll hear Joel open up about um, things that he's done in the past, I'm sure, and um, things that are working and haven't worked in the in the near future. So, mate, want to welcome you today. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having us back again. Dude, pleasure, bro. Let, let's dive straight into this, man, because I know you're a busy, busy man. You had a busy morning this morning. Can yeah. you take the listeners back to where Joel started, his grassroots in photography? Oh, man. Yeah. Look, I think the story started off much like everyone else. You know, it's very rare you come across a photography birthing story that's beautiful. <laughs> a lot of them just seem to be just a hobby that turns into a career. And that's exactly what this started out to be like, I guess. I just took up photography, surf photography and landscape when I first started and had a great time and got asked to shoot a friend's wedding, shot the friend's wedding, enjoyed the friend's wedding. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then, yeah, decided to focus on the brand and the culture behind the business rather than the art. And then next thing I know, I was like full-time photographer in about a year. So, and it's been eight years since that's happened now. So yeah, it's been great. Hey, you said something straight away. So you, you focus on on the business and all of that aspect rather than the art. Do you think that's mm-hmm. like a, a common trend? Well, I think, I don't know, man, it, it's hard to blanket statement you know, the, the whole industry and photographers in general, but I find generally people who get into the, you know, wedding or elopement photography game, there's two approaches generally you can, you can have, you can either approach it from a business perspective and focus on the culture and your branding and your marketing. And that's how you get business or you focus on your art and then your, you know, 
you're just focusing on creating really good work and getting people in through your art. And in the early stages, I had fuck all knowledge about art (laughs) and I'm still learning and we all are, but really I've never been artistic in my life in any way. But business made sense to me back in the day. Um, It was the only subject I did really well in at school. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll just focus on branding and marketing. And the only way I wanted to differentiate my photos in the early stages was through like the adventure sort of culture. So I just took my couples to locations that people weren't really shooting at. And that was an easy way because, you know, pretty fucking easy to take a photo of a you know, a couple on sunset on a cliff edge, you know, it's pretty Mm. fucking easy. So I was like, if I make the photo aspect easy for me by location and lighting, then that's easy to push a culture through that. So now I'm sort of blending the two together, focusing on the art as well as the business with this new direction. But um, yeah, in the early stages, it was definitely more business orientated than art. It seems like really interesting you say that because I think a lot of obviously photographers start with the inclination of like, fuck, I want to go full time. You're right. And then that, that to go full time, I mean, it, it's about income and about money. And, and like you said, so the business aspect is like forefront of the mind. And then the art generally suffers or comes second or in your case and a lot of other cases of photographers that have been in the game for a long time come at a later stage when you, you've gone through the ropes, right? Like you've been pounded and beaten and then you're just like... <laughs> Hey man, like I've learned this, I've learned that, but now it's me, you know, like uh, yep. I, I'm leaning into me. So I know Barefoot Embedded has has done a huge shift over years and, you know, from you're an incredible photographer and and both artists and businessmen, you've done a lot of workshops and a lot of things in the industry and helped a lot of people. So tell me about the shift from, okay, you know, I know you're traveling the world and, and these incredible locations and then there was this the initial shift how did that happen and and come come to your mind oh man oh well it's funny you said something about you know people want to be full-time and and you know make this awesome job their career and their full-time career but i think the the biggest thing is is that when people first start in this their definition of success is very heavily influenced by society and especially through social media. And I think the initial stages of getting in the wedding photography game, the definitions of success that is being put out to the rest of the industry is destinations, like Mm -hmm. where you travel, how many weddings you shoot each year, Mm -hmm. and I guess like how much money you make, you know? Mm -hmm. And now that there are the three definitions of, you know, when you first get into wedding photography, you're seeing all these idols and they're traveling the world and they're doing this many weddings and they earn that much money, they charge that much. So to the newcomer coming in, you look at that and you go, well, that's success. I want to be successful. So you'll strive to push towards that. And fuck all of that has to do with art. It's all just to do with creating a successful business and a culture. And I went down that track and, you know, hit those milestones and whatever. And I just remember coming out the other end, just thinking, fuck, I'm still very unsatisfied. And I hit those, tick those boxes, you know, we got featured here, got published there, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I just felt still very unfulfilled. And I realized that my definition of success was very different to what society's definition is. And Mm -hmm. this is all comes down to your values, like your core values. And this is the thing that whenever I do education and mentoring, I always sit down with people and go, all right, we're going to work out what your top three core values are. And, you know, I'll ask them that question and they'll always give me something back, which will be one of those three things that society says, like, I want to travel. I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm like, no, 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 not to do with your fucking business, with your life. Like what's one of your core, what are your core values in your life? You know? And 
it's very rare that I will come across someone where they give me their three core values and it aligns with the core values and the definition of a success that is being portrayed by the industry. And so I'm like, why the fuck are you trying to push this, you know, 75 plus weddings a year and traveling all around the world when your core value is family time and freedom? Mm. You're like, you're not going to get either one of those out of that, you know? Mm. So it's very hard to do because, you know, you get fuel. We're very, people in the creative industry, we're very passionate and we do get tunnel visioned and we get driven and we just want to go through for this thing a hundred mile an hour with our heart and our soul. And it's very inspiring and motivating and, you know, all these beautiful things romanticized, I guess. And, but very rarely, like, I don't know, just people don't really ever fucking reflect on their core values and, and make the connection to be like, okay, my core values are this. So maybe going here isn't the best thing. So I went hard out to those values that were portrayed by society, hit rock bottom and crashed, you know, like got divorced. My business fucking went all over the place. I was had a fucking huge tax debt. Like it was just a fucking nightmare. I missed my son's first steps, like heaps of shit that I missed out on. And I remember getting out the end of that, just going, fucking hell, like I may have ticked all these goals that, people in the industry would dream of, but Mm. it doesn't align with my core values at all. So then COVID happened about six, eight months later. And I was like, fuck, I've got to like hit reset on this and and try and, you know, reanalyze and rethink my direction with this business. And, you know, I'm very grateful for the rock bottom I hit there. I needed that to realize that I was in that shit, but our life isn't what's happened to us. It's how we react and what we do going into the future. So I just tried to remain optimistic in the light of, such fucking mayhem with personal life, but then also with the world with COVID, there seemed to be a lot of obstacles, but people have been through a lot worse with a lot less. So I've got to make it happen. <laughs> Do you feel, Joel, so so going back to the whole value system, it's really important how you bring that up. Do you think it would be a better approach, say for the listener out there that's just kind of started or trying to find their feet, right, in the game or even a season pro, right? Like mm-hmm. was in the position that you are doing these these weddings and haven't reflected a lot. Do you think a, a great exercise would be to do what you said? So sit down and, and think about your personal values mm-hmm. and then see if your life and business is aligning to it and try and try and align it, I guess. Yeah, for sure, man. And look, a lot of people do struggle and they find it difficult to do that. But the best thing to do is just literally just go online and look up list of values and there'll be Google images of fucking like three columns worth of values. Mm. Go through, select or highlight like ones where you're like, yeah, I want that, want that, want that. And then what will happen, you might come out with like 15 or 20, right? Now there's difference between like core values, like there's there's non-negotiable and negotiable, mm-hmm. you know? So there's things that you need to have in your life every fucking day, right? And if I don't have those in my day, I'm not the best version of myself. So therefore I cannot be a good business person. I cannot be a good father, partner, friend, whatever, right? There's things that you need that are just non-negotiable. And then there's a lot of those things are negotiable. It's like, look, I love to have that, but I recognize that I can't maybe have that every day because mm-hmm. of life circumstances, blah, blah, blah. But you got to work out what your non-negotiable ones. And for me, my top three, first one is growth. And this is in order. First one is growth. I need to feel like I'm challenging myself and I'm growing because if I'm not, I'm wasting my fucking time. Mm. The second thing is that Within that growth, when with those opportunities that I'm getting to growing, I want to be able to have freedom. Like if I don't feel like doing it that day because I can't and it's not productive, I want to be have the freedom to 
maybe do something else or not have to push myself through that because then it's not productive. And then the third one is family time. So spending time with my son. Now, People go, well, shouldn't that be first? I'm like, well, no, because if I don't get growth and freedom in my life, I'm a shit dad. I'm in a <laughs> shit mood. I'm not the best version of myself. So <laughs> then I can't give my best version to my son. Mm. And a lot of people might say that is selfish. I don't give a fuck. Mm. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good partner. And these are the things I need in my life to make me the best version of myself so I can give more to the people that I love. And then the non-negotiables. And then there's shitloads of negotiables in my life where I'm like, look, I'd love to have money. I'd love to have financial freedom. I'd love to have all this sort of stuff. But as long as I've got these, like yeah. I don't give a fuck. You know, mm-hmm. I need to feel like I'm growing, have freedom and spend time with my son. So yeah, look up a list of core values, work, line them all out and look at the ones where you're like, if I don't have this in my life every day, I'm fucked. And it could be five, it could be one, it could be three, whatever it is. But I try and tell people to go to about three and yeah, it'll give you a really good direction, like idea of where you should be pushing your business. When you hit rock bottom, Joel, and you reflected on making the transition to align with your core values, was that someone telling you to do that? Was that just introspection? Was How did you get to the point where you're like, there's a misalignment here and this is what's necessary? So... It's a bit of a long story, but I'll, I'll go short. So long story short, I had a bit of a interesting childhood. <laughs> uh, it's not the worst. It wasn't the best, obviously, but there's people out there that have had a lot worse. But my relationship with my mum is non-existent. So ever since I was 13 till like current, pretty much, uh, except before COVID, I had to stop because of financial. But from 13 till before COVID, I'd see a, a psychologist every two weeks for like 15 years or whatever it was. And I learned so much about my time because I had to work through all that trauma. But then, you know, coming out and going through all the stuff that I went through, I continued going and was able to work a lot of stuff out. Be like, why do I feel unfulfilled when I've traveled all around the world, Mm. done this and done that? And it just didn't make sense to me because I felt guilty because I was like, people would kill to have those Mm. opportunities. But then it's like, well, it doesn't align with my core values and that's okay. So yeah, just through like a lot of psychological work on myself, I do every time I read, I always read like self-help or philosophy books because, you know, I feel like the quote that I always say is that what's the point of having a Ferrari if you, the driver is fucking blind. And a lot of people focus on building this Ferrari, but then it's like, well, what if you the driver hasn't got a sound mind and you're not working on yourself because then Mm -hmm. you can't fucking drive this vehicle properly, Mm -hmm. you know? People always go to workshops. People always go to education to build a business. And I'm like, fuck the business. Mm. The business will come if you're in a good state. Mm. But people don't like that because working on yourself is something that's immeasurable. There's no metric system to Mm. be like, I'm growing, I'm developing. They can't tick any boxes. It's a slow process. But, yeah, people... We live in a society where everyone wants shit yesterday. So this is the long way. It's mm. I feel like it's the right way, but it's the long way and people, they get impatient. They want to see the money in their account. They don't want to feel, you know, a sense of pride necessarily. They mm. want to have the money and they associate the money with pride, if that makes sense. But this is a blanket statement. This isn't for, for everyone. Sure. Yeah, but this is how I felt. For sure. It's interesting you say that. Like I remember reading a book and he was, well, I forget the author, but he was saying that... um you know, like we go to the gym to train our muscles, but the biggest muscle and the, and the most important thing is our brain and our mind. Mm. And mm. the only way to train that is to have someone to, to kind of question that mm. life skills, et cetera. And they see psychologists going to see a psychologist when you think you're good mm. as like a weakness or an unnecessary thing. 
Mm. But you go see a personal trainer to put muscle on. But like, I find that really interesting. And he was actually saying, he was like, man, when your marriage is incredible, go see a marriage counselor because mm-hmm. like they can only help you understand why it's at that point. Or obviously people see it when it's at the lowest and generally that's just probably too late. But mm. I appreciate your honesty there as well, Joanna. And I love it how you say it. That is a blanket statement and this is you. So all the listeners, Joel's been vulnerable here. So this is his story, right? And it doesn't mean it's everyone else's story. You said you hit rock bottom and then like COVID hit and then there was this transition stage. Do you think you would have got to the point you are now if COVID wasn't a thing? Or do you think you would have still turned those gears? I think, mate, I think, look, at the end of the day, it, this was always going to happen, mm. but I just think maybe it would have happened later or mm-hmm. I would have maybe taken on more work and then it would have just delayed it. But um, I think it would have happened eventually because the stuff that I'm doing at the moment with the, the rebrand and all that sort of stuff is me. Mm-hmm. It just would have taken me a little bit longer. I think I was so grateful for COVID though because, you know, getting government assistance was fucking great for once in my whole fucking life. And man, I had time. I had time yeah. to think like every time I've come up with a business or an idea, it's always been on a plane because I've been bored and I haven't had reception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, I always come up with my best ideas or opportunities, I guess, when I'm bored. And I think COVID gave me a lot of that opportunity. And I did a few creative shoots and started to think, why the fuck am I doing stuff the way that I'm doing it now? It doesn't make sense for who I am. I'm just doing it for everyone else. And then I just did the rebrand and it's been the, you know, the best fucking thing I've ever done for my business. And I don't care if it, you know, it isn't like what everyone else is doing and I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because it's me, you know? So it's, it's been really refreshing. (laughs) COVID's great. The Joel I know (laughs) from back in the day, Always mm. lent into uniqueness to a certain point, right? You know, fuck traditions, do it your way. That was always your slogan. That was, Joel, you're unique. You know, you definitely weren't, you know, run of the mill photographer, Kmart, run through and, and you know, like cattle line it. But now we see like, you know, I, I was at a wedding yesterday and showed a, a videographer your work. And I'm like, oh, I'm catching up with a friend tomorrow. You know, I haven't spoke to him in a long time. Showed him your work and he's like, fuck, that's amazing. And then I said, what do you think is amazing about that? And he goes, dude, I've never seen anything like it. And I said, um, it's funny you say that. I said, if I take you back years and years ago, you probably mm. would have seen something like it. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's landscapes, you know, beautiful locations. But this is Joel. Like this, this is no one else but Joel. Now you can see it like through and through. Mm. And um, But it's funny because, you know, a videographer sees a lot of photographers work and it, and it becomes like, you know, noise. And then yours pierced through yesterday. And he was like, man, make sure you ask him this question, ask him that. And I'm like, it's really <laughs> cool and interesting to see someone that has no idea who you are, but is like, is taken back by you leaning more into you, which I think, mm-hmm. I think was absolutely beautiful, man. I'm like that, man, that's going to put you, a smile, that's smile really, on Joel's face there. <laughs> that's really nice, dude. I appreciate you telling me that. <laughs> hey, Joel, now we're at this transition phase. Mm. And you did a couple of these practice shoots or style shoots to kind of find your creativity, which you're an incredible photographer from the get, you know, from you had a great sound knowledge of photography. We won't, we won't take that away from you. Where did you get to the point? Was it like just trying things practically and going like, nah, I don't like it or fuck it. I'll just post it. I know today, like the users, uh, the listeners are going to head up onto your website and stuff. They see a lot of black and white work, you know, Mm. hardly wedding dresses. It's like super Mm. different. Are you at the point now you're like, yeah, that's that's it? Oh, man, like 
Oh, I'm still growing for sure. And, you know, developing it out. Like it's, it's a really shit time to do a rebrand during COVID <laughs> because you have no fucking opportunities to shoot. <laughs> yeah, fully. But the thing is, right, is like, man, I got so fucking over my work back in the day. Like I was so grateful for the, all the opportunities. I loved all my couples. I loved all the places I went. Like I'm not saying that I wasn't grateful, but man, it was fucking boring to me. I just felt like I got into my routine every single job. And yeah, I'm, the fact that I'm calling it a job, I hate that, you know? And I just, think that if you looked at my work back then and yours and fucking every other photographer in Australia, there'd be, I don't think there'd be any difference and not, not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's just like my, I know that who I am individually with my culture, like, you know, my brand for barefoot and beard, my culture for barefoot and beard has always been fuck traditions, do it your Mm -hmm. way. I understand that I've got a bit of a personality and I felt like my work didn't reflect that. I just Mm -hmm. tried to capitalize off that personality and that brand rather than my work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my work was sharp. It was composed the same way. I'd do the same shots. I'd do the same light and blah, 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 blah. And it, that was the barefoot bearded thing. Right. And I just got fucking over it. I was like, I just feel like there's so many people out there that are creating work similar. Mm-hmm. And what's the fucking point of me doing that? You know, cause I'm so different and I'm like, I need to start creating work that is more authentic to who I am. So throughout COVID, got a lot of time, had a lot of space to be creative. So I did these shoots. Um, I've changed systems to Fuji as well, which we can get into why I think they're the best fucking cameras going around at the moment for for me anyway. Mm-hmm. So I just fucked around with doing some weird shit. I was like fucking around with settings and slow shutters and flash. And I was like, this is so outside my world. And I just got so many shots back and I'd be like, fuck, i I love the way this feels. I love the way this feels. I felt like I was starting to actually genuinely create art and I've never felt that. And I was like, I need this. I need this. And I went back and shot a few other weddings on the old style. And I was like, okay, that's cool, but doesn't feel right for me. So then I was like contemplating for ages because I didn't want to do the rebrand and upset or scare all my current clients because I knew that it would be a dramatic shift. Um, I educated and communicated with my clients pre rebrand and gave them the option for the old style or the new style or a blend and whatever. So I made sure that they were, you know, weren't left in the dust because that was my biggest, Mm. my biggest fucking thing was like, if I'm doing this, I don't want all my current clients to Mm. freak out. Future clients, they can fucking come into this new style and that's it. But current ones, they need to be respected. So I made sure that was the case. And then, yeah, man, like once I did this rebrand, I'm just like, the way I'm shooting just feels so good. Like I remember last night I was just sitting watching a movie with, with my partner and just I just said to her out of random, I was just like, fucking loving the shit I'm creating recently. And I've never said that. I've never felt genuinely like, fuck, I'm just feeling like I'm creating stuff that is me. Like I've been an anarchist at heart forever, right? Mm-hmm. Fuck this, do whatever you want. And my work wasn't like that. My work didn't represent that anarchist in me. It was just the same shit, but the culture was different. Mm-hmm. So I was like, now I'm creating stuff where it's composed differently. The settings are fucked. I'm using flash and smoke machines and slow shutters and F11 at like in the middle of the night with weird shit. Like it's like, feels right, you know? So I'm going me with how I'm shooting now, I'm like, fuck how I used to do it. Fuck how everyone else does it. This is how I want to do it. So I felt like I was almost doing a disservice to my clients because I'd be like, well, I'm saying to them and trying to convince them, hey, fuck what everyone else does. You do what you want to do. But I was doing the same as what everyone Mm. else was doing Mm. like artistically. So I was like, 
fuck it, I need to not be a hypocrite mm. and do that with my art as well, you know, make sure that my art is still reflecting who, my personal culture as well. You know, it's been a long shift and, it, like, in the early stages, man, it was, like, every day I was questioning myself, being like, shouldn't do this. Yeah. Oh, fuck, it's not getting as many likes on Instagram, mm. inverted commas, because that's successful. And I questioned myself heaps, heaps, because I didn't get as many bookings, but I didn't know if it was because of COVID or the rebrand, so I was just questioning myself all the time. But I was like, man, like, people also aren't just attracted to what you do. They're attracted to why you do it. Mm. And I wanted to put it out there and be honest with myself and, and with my clients and with the world and be like, this is who I am. I'm so fucking passionate about it. And there's going to be people out there that like it. You know, there might be less, but then when they come to me and, and this is what I've experienced with the rebrand so far is like when I've had inquiries, every single inquiry since the rebrand is booked. Mm. It's because they just no, no one comparison has today. that same culture, you know? So it's not like, oh, can we choose between this person and this For person? Sure. It's like, well, if you want that, this is the only place to go, you know? It's like the nice. blue ocean, red ocean strategy. For sure. It's been fun. Joel, did you find a time you had to turn off the noise from other photographers? Like, were, you know, you said you had to question yourself a lot through COVID, but you, were you just like, it, it, you know, it wasn't like, okay, cool. If I sit on Instagram and social media, like I might revert back to barefoot and better back in the day. Did you have to get to that point or were you like, nah, like that's materialistic stuff. Like oh, um, it's deeper. It's in the heart here. Well, the th- like I said before, it's like this culture within barefoot and bearded forever about fuck traditions your, your way has mm. always existed, you know? So it was, it's always been within me. I just had to take that part of me and apply it to my pressing the trigger and the yes. editing, you know? Yes. So it was easy for me to find that because it was already there, but applying it to my art was just all about me reflecting more on, like, because COVID, you know, people during COVID, it was like you couldn't have big weddings. So I was like, cool, this is a great opportunity for me to preach my, like, you know, getting married takes two minutes, whatever you want to do with the rest of the day is completely up to you. This was an opportunity. So once I started pushing that to clients and, and to couples out in the world, like, hey, this is, you know, this is the silver lining of what we've got in this world right now, I started thinking of that next step is like, okay, well, if I'm preaching to couples like, two minutes to your day, you can get married the rest of the day, you can do whatever. I have to start thinking about what is that whatever? Mm. You know, what can these couples do with that day? I need to start thinking about how they would want to spend their day. And then I started thinking, well, okay, I should just shoot that sort of stuff and photograph couples doing that sort of shit that they love together and just get married at some stage, you know? Like I've got this huge list of things that I want to photograph couples doing on their marriage day. Right, I want couples go to time zone and just play fucking arcade games. I want couples to go surfing in the morning. I want couples to go rock climbing, abseiling, bushwalking, camping. I don't give a fuck what you want to do. Just get married for two minutes because that's all it takes. And if you like on my inquiry form now, I ask all my couples, what's the top three hobbies that you love doing with each other? Mm-hmm. And I try and incorporate those on their marriage day. Like if you're having like a 40 person wedding, it's like, all right, cool. You like bushwalking? Cool. Get married at midday. I know a bushwalk that takes us two hours a circuit around here. We're going to go do that and take a picnic and fucking do whatever, you know, because what's the point of having this day that celebrates the relationship that you have with your partner if you can't do the shit that you love and makes your relationship unique? And that's what I just got lost with in weddings. I was like, why the fuck do people do this? Like it's this big dick measuring competition of mine's bigger and better than yours. I've got all these people look at me this is a representation of the facade that we want to put onto the world. But it's like couples don't want to be vulnerable and actually do the shit that they love because they're too worried about making sure everyone else is having a good time. So I was like, well, I need to be that person 
I've always been that person that educates the couples. Now I just need to create the art that they can look at and go, oh, okay, that's how it happens. Mm. Like, and they need like a physical representation of how that would look. And I'm trying to give that to people. So it's been fun. So bro, staying on this, because this is real, real interesting. Let's put it in practical terms. Couple inquires, they're like, you know, they're frothing your work. They inquire. They love like surfing, rock climbing and going out for coffee, right? Or something like that. You know, they love their work, your work. They've inquired. So that's simple as that. They're having a standard wedding ceremony and they've, they've like, they're planning a reception and all the jazz. Mm, mm. How, do you, how do you go into that and kind of like try and get them? I mean, obviously, they're going to have a unique perspective to be inquiring with yourself, right? Simple as that. But how do you go into that saying like, why don't you try these things? Is that just a conversation with you and them and, and you just kind of explaining that things are an actual option for you? Yeah, man. And I think like photographers, we're pretty lucky because generally we're in the top three priority of getting booked. It's like yeah. a venue and then yeah. it's sort of whatever. But at the moment, I've been having a lot of inquiries. I've had couples just inquire with me and they haven't organized anything. So when they haven't even organized a venue or a date, it's like, well, fucking let the molding begin, you know? But if they have had that, if they Mm -hmm. have started planning that, I'll be like, okay, cool. Tell me about what you want to do with your day. Mm -hmm. And they'll start telling me stuff. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, you know, my cobbles do have a general idea, you know, the philosophy of fuck traditions, do it your way. So Mm -hmm. at least they'll get something that's a little bit close. You know, they'll get something that's kind of close to that. They might go to like, you know, I've got one recently, they've booked recently and they haven't even booked a venue, but they're like, want to book this place down in Threadbow and they both Mm -hmm. love skiing and their dream was to go to Vegas and do a Vegas elopement. I'm like, all right, well, let's see how we can incorporate that within Threadbow, you know? And I might offer the options of like, all right, well, how about we do, you might have that day booked, but how about the day before we do like a Vegas style elopement somewhere fucking sick. And then we'll just go snowboarding for the rest of the day. And I'll take photos of you guys snowboarding and then you can have a barbecue the next day and a fake ceremony. And I'll come photograph that as well. You know? Mm. So there's all these options about how you can fucking run the day that couples don't think about. And it's, our job as industry professionals to educate them for sure and you can have two positions you can either be the fly on the wall sit back and go yeah that sounds great cool here's my invoice and i'll just come along and be a passenger or we can recognize that we see this every week you know and we've seen it all before we have a lot of knowledge around this and we can actually educate these couples to create something that's more authentic and real to who they are right because i'm not trying to manipulate them Mm -hmm. Educate them to do what I think is good. I get to know who they are and make sure that we create a day that's about them. And I always say to my couples exactly what I said to you, which is like getting married takes two minutes. What do you want to do with the rest of your day? So a lot of couples, especially in the early stages of the process, when we're getting inquired with, it's they might be stressed out or they don't know who to book or they don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. And I always just go, look, two minutes. That's all you need. You don't Mm. even need a photographer. I always say to couples, you don't even need me for the same fucking result of getting married. It, memories are going to exist regardless of whether I take the photos or not. I'm an emotional purchase. Photographers are 100% emotional purchase. The only actual purchase that is fucking needed is a celebrant. Mm-hmm. And they're never the first ones either, which is crazy, mm-hmm. right? So they're the only person that they actually need to get the same result as a wedding, elopement, registry, fucking whatever. They'll be married at the end of the day if there's a fucking celebrant. Everything else is completely emotional and unessential and just a bonus. So as long as you think about it like that, it's like two minutes of the day, you need to say sentence each, two people need to hear it, sign a bit of paper, and then you fucking married, right? 
once I tell people this, it's like you actually have so much more freedom than you think. You don't have to fit to the constraint in the original outdated timeline of prep, ceremony, photos, reception. Like that Mm. doesn't exist anymore, right? And it shouldn't exist. But we need to educate and help couples with an alternative and let them know that that's a possibility, but also help them because they don't fucking know. Mm. Like I've, I've written in my, I've got like a COVID catalyst article out and I'll send it to you actually. But I did write in there. It's like, we can't blame couples for going down this big wedding route because we market ourselves as wedding photographers, wedding venues, wedding caterers, wedding celebrants. It's like they hear this W word so much. And when I say the word wedding, you have a preconceived image of what that day looks like. So then you just go down that subconsciously, Mm -hmm. like you hit the wedding cruise control fucking thing and you go down that route. Right. And it's not for everyone. It is for a lot of people, but it's not for everyone. Mm. And it's our job to help them realize that because we can't expect them to come to us with this dream day that Mm. they want to go to time zone and do all this fun shit because they don't know it's possible. So I try and help my couples to be like, this is possible. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And I mean anything. Like if you want to take a nana nap in the middle of the day and watch Netflix, cool, let's do it. You know, it's your day. So yeah, it's, you have so much more freedom than you think. And it's just, it should be liberating. It should be exciting, not, not dreaded. And especially Mm, males, you know, traditionally males are like, they don't give a fuck. They're like, whatever she wants. I'm like, Mm. dude, like you have so much freedom. What do you want to do, man? Mm. Like, let's do this. You know, it's really, it should be really exciting. Can you feel my excitement? hundred (laughs) percent, man. Now, I want to flip it a little bit, but stay on the subject. For the photographer out there that's, you know, creating work that they may be run-of-the-mill work, they may they may be over it, right? Like, they might just be like, man, this is just like, I'm not creating the work that's like fulfilling me as an artist or really leaning into me as you are, like the purple cow, right? You're the standout mm. cow out of the herd. <laughs> I love that book, man. That was, yeah, epic. Uh, anyway, staying on track. Do you feel as though, like, let's say that photographer is posting, you know, your standard winning stuff that's like run of the mill, but they want to lean into something. Do you think it's an okay process for them to just sit down with a couple over Zoom or a coffee or something and just go like, okay, I don't have the work that I'm going to be explaining right now, mm. but like, let's get you guys to think about something different. It may be like something minuscule, like, cause I see your work and it's very unique. So they know they're coming in, mm. but like, it may be like, oh, cool. Instead of like getting your bow tie done up and laughing at that with all your mates, like what, mm. let's go for a surf and then like slowly feeding that into it mm. rather than like ripping everything off and just going like, okay, cool. Like, let's be Joel. <laughs> like, let, let's, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Like, cause I know a lot of photographers are going to find this really like inspiring mm. and they're probably going to have more emphasis on not just creating a run sheet for couples, but creating a day <laughs> like you are for couples. Mm. So, um, yeah. How do you feel about that? Like for them to put that into practical terms? Yeah, man. And I think the thing is, is that like the more people that do this and the more Mm. people that have these conversations, the more creative and out there the days are going to be, it's going to be awesome. And this is the thing at the moment is I don't want, I don't call myself a wedding photographer or not even elopement photographer. It's like, if you say elopement, you still have a preconceived idea, which is like a smaller wedding on a cliff edge. That's like what we envision an elopement is. So I just want to say I'm a marriage photographer or a couples photographer. I don't give Mm -hmm. a fuck. I just want to photograph couples getting married in love. I don't give a fuck how it happens. Right. So I'm trying to like take away from weddings and elopements and just say marriages because the marriage is focusing on the act, which is the two-minute act, and then the commitment to that spouse for as long as it's good, I guess, Mm. you know. So I want more photographers to be doing this because it's like if it's a norm, then couples 
are going to be educated. Like I can only reach so many couples and tell them, Hey, this is what you can do, you know? And the more people that sort of have that same belief and want to have that, this same flexibility around their days. And the more people that other photographers can reach, it's like, Mm. they're going to come into these days more excited, more liberated, more inspired, more free and more creative. And it's just going to be awesome for people to actually reflect on themselves individually, but also their relationship and think consciously about creating a day that is special to them and Mm. not what everyone else does, you know, and what the magazines are putting out. I love this, Joel, because it shows how much you actually give a fuck and care. Like you really do. Like I I think the first time I met you, I was just like, man, this guy actually cares because he's questioning things. Like, you know, like I know for me, I'm not married. I do a lot of weddings and for me, my ideal would be, you know, go for a surf and go out for brekkie with my little boy and take him to the park and like see how many steps he takes. Like for me, those photos, they insert into my heart. But right. like yeah. him sitting there watching me cut a cake, that's, yeah. that's not my jam. Hence why I haven't been married, which is funny because I obviously shoot weddings and stuff, but it's mm. fresh, fresh to hear. Yeah. And that's the reason mm. why I haven't got married, right? Because, you know, I'm just like, man, I, I would rather do it my way. And what's, what's authentic and special of like, tell me what screams a couple about this, a female is spending four to six hours getting ready, right? Mm. Standing in a white dress that you never fucking wear, looking like you don't even, you don't even look like yourself. And then you're standing in a paddock with long grass in a black suit and a white dress cuddling each other. Like nothing about that screams everyday relationship, right? And Mm. that's what fucking blows me away is like, yes, it's a pretty photo. Anyone can take a pretty photo, but how about we start creating images that are fucking real, you know? Mm. Like we, we throw that authentic word around all the fucking time. Oh, I'm authentic. I'm authentic. I'm like, there's nothing fucking authentic about standing in a white dress and a tux in a fucking long grass paddock on sunset. That doesn't fucking happen. If you ask them what their hobbies are and they go, oh, we love to get dressed up in a white dress and a tux and walk through a long grass paddock on sunset every week. It's like, all right, cool. Then we'll photograph it. I guarantee you no fucking couple out there (laughs) is going to say that. And it fucking blows my mind that that's what they want to do, you know? And they put that up on their wall. Like that is us. I'm like, it's not fucking you. Mm. And with wedding, like my tagline at the moment that I'm sort of shifting to is fuck wedding photography, because Mm. I feel like that photo is everywhere and anyone can take it for wedding photographers that are just starting out can take those photos. Wedding photographers that have been in the industry for ages can take those photos. What we're doing is just copying, pasting their fucking face to a different body every single time. Mm. And nothing about that is real. You know, it just is so cookie cutter and it's Mm. a template. It's a template that has no emotional consideration from us, no emotional consideration from them because they just think that that's what's needed and it's not their fault. We need to educate and we need to be like, hey, this is how you can do it. Who are you? Like, let's fucking get into mm. that and create shit that is you, you know? Like, I'm I'm going to start doing shoots where, especially on my couple shoots, engagement shoots, I'm going to go hard out with this because then there's no pressure. So, like, I've got one coming up soon where they like cooking together. So, I'm mm-hmm. like, cool, let's go to an Asian grocer. I want to photograph you guys shopping together and then we'll go back, cook, and then we'll have a food fight. Done. Right. And that's because that's fucking, that's fun as, and that's what they like to do. They're lively and bubbly. You know, it's not about having a picnic on a cliff edge on sunset. Like, you know, yes, that might be for some people, but it's not for everyone, you know? hundred percent. So we just got to be real as in our craft, as much as they have to be real to us, you know, it's two way street. And all this comes back to 
which I think you said earlier, dude, is like we're in such a solid position here to to help them mm. understand that there could be uniqueness. And even if it's like, even in my head, I'm like, okay, cool. I know some of my couples like absolutely want this day and stuff, but it could be even just a fucking simple question of like, you don't have to have me there for prep. Or like, why don't we put on some rock music and 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 then you you know like you can jam for two hours, have food and drink, and not do a two hour photo shoot. You know, I know I've got one in WA coming out, and she's so stoked because she ended up booking a venue, and and you'll love this. She ended up booking a venue, called me and was like having a bit of remorse and was like, "Fuck, I've spent a lot of money." And I always try and you know, okay, what do you want? What do you want from the day? And some couples like you know, hundred percent certain, like you said, man. Some couples are like, "Yeah, no, I want this. I want that. I want this." And some of us photographers can facilitate that. That's cool. We can put our unique spin on it by only doing 10 minutes of photos on sunset, not two hours. That's my thing that I'm like, man, I would hate that on my wedding day, two hours of photos. But anyway, <laughs> so like a little unique spin on it, not going too far left on that. But this other couple, she rang me and she was like, man, I'm like, you know, I'm not feeling this shit. Hey. And then I said to her, we're sitting down over Zoom and I'm like, man, what would you like? And she's like, I'd love a carnival wedding. Like Tattooist during the ceremony, Ferris wheels, clown like carnival rides and, and like all this i'm like let's do it like and then you know she was like because she never sees it though you know yes but just listening hey eh? like it's very unique for me as well but because she doesn't see that work on my profile but it doesn't mean you can't create that mm. as a photographer just that question and now we're planning this wedding and i'm like there's tattooists and like they've got a flash seat so everyone just like getting tattooed during a ceremony and i've got to get a pelican that's taking photos or something like that and <laughs> and it's gonna like be a twilight like you know, carnival wedding. And I'm like, I know her face after the end of it. It's going to be so stoked. Mm. You know, like... Do you need a she's second center- shooter? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. WA, man. WA. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can get there. Crossing see, that the legal borders. So sick though. And it's good that you had that conversation with mm. her. And sometimes it's all about, you know, this comes down to psychology and therapy and stuff as well. But it's like, sometimes we just need to give the couples like mm. a safe space to vent and talk about it, you know, and that so they can be honest because if we give that to our couples, if we give our vulnerability and honesty and trust to them, they're going to give that back to us and then they'll come to you like you just had and she's mm. like, hey, I don't feel this. And then you go, all right, cool. Let's like work this out. Like you're not stuck. You're not a tree. Let's fucking get this sorted, you know. And it's awesome that you had that flexibility to do that. I think the nicest thing is like when you leave a wedding and you're like, yeah, that was so the couple even if it wasn't the black tarks in the stand, you know, they're stoked. Yeah. Like, you know, that the day they've fucking had an amazing day and it could be just the cookie cutter day, mm. but all too often, obviously when we're, you know, like you see it in the groom's face, especially being men, right? Like mm. we know, and you can see it in the guy's face and he's like, bro, he didn't want to be here. Hey. And like, when you go on to do photos on sunset, you're like, I wonder why he's not like turning it on. Like he actually doesn't want to be here. Yeah. It's like disheartening for us. Hey, like, especially unmarried guy, like just going like, man, oh, it's only 10 minutes. And they're like, yeah, cool. Can we have drinks? Yeah, of course you can yeah. have drinks, you know, put them down for one photo. Boom. All good. Like you don't have to do what your best man did at his wedding and, and did two hours of photos and mm. all that jazz. Mm. I want to talk about now that transition into gear. Cause I love gear. Like I like talking about it. I know you've, you've definitely shot a lot of film and digi and everything. Mm. And I remember sh- talking to yourself, bro, like a year ago about film and, and it was real cool because you're like pretty, pretty like certain on film and you, you're nailing it and taking these big cameras around the world yeah. and hiking them around. And then you're like, look, it's not right for me right now. I felt like I've had my time with it, but it's not where it needs to be for me. Mm. That transition from Nikon? Yeah. 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 To, to now Fuji and everything in between, bro. Yeah. 
Why Fuji? Oh, man. Okay, so Fuji, I bought an X100V, like a little sort of fixed 35mm camera. And I bought Mm -hmm. it literally just to take personal photos. Like throughout COVID, I was like, got some personal shoots, wanted to take more photos of my son. And every time I tried to do that with the Nikon, it was this big fucking workhorse. Mm. I would, I associated barefoot and bearded work with that camera. So I Mm. would just subconsciously go into the same setting, same composition, same whatever. So I was like, all right, I need to break that cycle. I need to pick up a different thing that I haven't had experience with that I can now create like a new story with. So I bought that 100V and I was like, fuck, this camera is like, this camera is fucking red hot. Like for how cheap it is Mm. and it's sharp, the low light performance is epic. It's fast. I'm like, wow, this is sick. And it's really small. And what I love about it is that with this new style now, I'm doing a lot of like, not looking at the camera at all while I'm shooting. Mm-hmm. So I might just hold it in my hand and shoot the trigger with my thumb down by my waist while they're talking to me if they laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. And I can't, it's hard to do that subtly with the D4S mm-hmm. when the shutter's going, goom, 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 goom. it's not really subtle at all. But, and this camera is just like, it's really subtle. And I, man, I love rangefinder because if I do lift it up to my face, the rangefinder goes over my right eye, but my whole face is unexposed yes. on the left. So I feel like there's less disconnect Mm -hmm. from me to the subject if I do do that. But a lot of the time now I'm using the LCD screen because I want to be able to talk to them while I'm shooting. So I'll have my camera down around my chest and I'll be like talking to them while I'm shooting. And I've been shooting long enough to know that if I've got a 35 mil watts in frame and what isn't, but I'm also embracing mistakes. So like I got a shot, I did an engagement shoot a while ago. One of my favorite photos was I was walking in front of them and I just held the camera over my shoulder and just shot behind me. And it was heaps out of focus, off to the side, composed, whatever. But I looked at the photo and they were laughing because they thought it was hilarious that I was shooting like that. And <laughs> I was looking at that photo. I'm like, that's fucking sick photo. Like that, they're just having, they just look like they're having the best time and laughing. And they're so, they were so giggly as they were. And I was like, that was the best photo from the shoot. And I just shot over my shoulder, just bang, bang, bang. So these cameras are, they're light, they're fast. They're just like, they're very like unintimidating. For couples too, mm, mm. you know, it's like if I can just shoot with this little camera around my neck, it's like bang, bang. It's like it's just really inconspicuous and, and not intimidating. So I feel like that it's easier for them to let their guard down and be a bit more. And it's easier for me to communicate because I'm not, I haven't got all these big gear hanging off me, you know? For sure. But now I've got four. <laughs> I've got four Fuji cameras. I've got an X-Pro2, which I fucking love, at X100F, which is like the light, the level just below the 100V, which... I actually use that. And this is another thing I've done with the branding is because these cameras are really easy. I can set it all on auto if I want to, and they look like little point shoots. I give that to my couples to shoot on the, on the shoot. So on the engagement shoot, one of them will always have a camera around their shoulder and they'll be taking photos of each other or of things. I did an elopement recently where I passed it around to guests at the weddings. And man, I look through some of those photos and I'm like, fuck, these shots are heaps better than anything that I got. But it's, <laughs> but it's, it's not that though. It's, like yeah, technically, sure. they're not that great, but what they're photographing is beautiful because they might be taking selfies of each other mm. or they might be taking photos of their partner being an idiot. And I can't get that shit at weddings. You know, I can't mm. get that during the day because I'm, I haven't got the same connection with them as they do with each other. Mm-hmm. So for me, just to give them a camera to pass around and I'm looking back at some of these photos, I'm like, fuck, like that moment is sick. Like I would have never gotten that, you know? So yeah, just trying to drop all layers down of disconnect from me from the subject. And these cameras help me do that man and they're fucking perfect they're just yeah it's hard for me to pick up a film camera now because i'm like why would i do it you know why yeah yeah when you shoot a wedding now 
let's say it's quite a unique wedding, you know, 20 guests, whatever, they're going for a hike and they're just, mm. you know, food fighting, but they're mm. still having a ceremony and a bit of a party, you right? Like, mm. what's the camera that's hanging off you out of all four of them? The 100V, easily. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because yeah. the X-Pro2 is like yeah, yeah. technically a technically. lot Mm. But it's like, man, the 100V is fucking awesome. It's the best camera I've ever used, best digital camera I've ever used. And I will stand by that till the day I die. And I just like will never get rid of it. I've always got one on me and it's just nice. They're so, and they're little and they're easy to use. They look great as well. Like they mm. just, the little black inconspicuous box, you mm. know, it's really subtle and it's just easy to use. I just can't go past it, man. And people always, it's funny because, Everyone goes like, well, these really professional grade cameras in weddings. It's like, oh, dude, it's got to have this many megapixels. It's got to be full sure. frame. It's got to be whatever. It's like, dude, this camera is $1,200 and it comes with a lens and it's the best camera I've ever used. <laughs> like I'm saving so much money. It's great. <laughs> There's so many benefits to what, what you're explaining here. I remember years ago when I was getting into photography and I remember watching a YouTube video of Ryan Muirhead shooting some boudoir. Yeah. And he was sitting with like a little Leica. And yeah, I had no idea about cameras back then, but I was just like watching her. And I was like, oh, it stuck with me, bro. Like, obviously I know who Ryan is now and, and the many amazing things he's done with the art world as well. But I remember watching him and I, I picked something up and I was like, straight away, I was like, fuck, that's so inconspicuous. He's there in that story, you know, mm-hmm. like, and she had a little lamp. And and then like, I remember I had a 7200, you know, yeah. like, and I was like, <laughs> I wonder if it'd be different if I was in there with a 7200 with Gary Fong on the top sitting there, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just like totally different. And, and when, when you're talking about your camera gear, all I see you as, as a guest at the wedding, like mm. I don't think anyone would ever be like, oh, the, you know, even the coordinator is probably like, where, the, where is the photographer? Exactly. And you know, Josh yeah. Jones is cruising around like. Exactly, man. And I think that's that's, that's, huge. that's definitely a good way to put it in, man. That I'm like a guest. I really do. And a lot of, and now the jobs that I've shot since the rebrand, it's like people are being like, oh, cool. Like, how do you know the couple? Like, how long have you guys been friends for? I'm like, they've just booked me. And because I'm passing mm. cameras around as well, <laughs> you would associate photographers yeah. not doing that. And so yeah, it's like, sure. yeah, man, it's like, I, and I take selfies of myself during the day on the camera as well. <laughs> so, like, if I'm giving, and if I give a camera to a guest, and they're taking a photo, I'll try and photo bomb it, you know, like yeah. or I'll get a photo with them in it. So it's like, you know, I recognize that, I, that as a photographer, and we have to recognize that as well. As a photographer, we're part of their days and we try to hide ourselves and show that we're an outside perspective. Mm. And it's like, no, nah, man, we're part of it. So embrace it, you know, it's just have fucking fun with it. And, you know, for so, so much of this and so much of weddings and marriages, it's all so serious and we just forget to play. You know, we just forget to play as, as you know, humans, mm. we love to play. We love to have fun. And a lot of that gets taken out of these days because it's so structured and serious mm. and all this sort of shit. And it's like, man, what happened to just having fun? Man, every ceremony I've shot recently, I've taken photos. I've gone up like a meter away from the couple and get a photo with them while they're doing it, like a <laughs> selfie with them. And I'm like, fuck, man, it's just fun. As long as it doesn't impact on their day, which it doesn't, I'm doing sure. respectfully, of course. And I'm not making it about me. No, but that's I'm just, right letting them know that, you know, we're all here together and we're all here to have fun and don't take it so serious and just have a great time. And as well to the listener out there, the couple know who Joel is, right? Like he's that, yeah, I'm sure you've done the groundwork. They know that you're this person that's going to have fun and going to be a part of it and going to be inconspicuous throughout the day. So Mm. 
probably if you're thinking about doing something like this, maybe educate your couples before Saturday's wedding coming up <laughs> that um that you're going to be doing some stuff funky. Yeah, and don't just run out and buy a 100 V just because Joel said it. Do it, do it. Yeah, do, <laughs> no, but I'm going to say something here because if you're a photographer that cares about clinical sharpness and thousand frames per second down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Don't just go out and get a 100V and expect to get that. Yeah. If you're going to go out and get a new camera, play with it, enjoy it and see if it fits with you. Because yeah. I think that's too often. We, we Especially I did, you know, it's amazing photographers shooting this camera. I'll go get a Leica. I'll go get this. I'll get mm. it me. And then it's like, where does that fit within me? You know, mm. like, as you know, bro, we've gone through a lot of gear and stuff. I want to talk about something interesting here is with that gear choice and stuff like that, Giving like a couple a camera during the the engagement shoot, do you preempt them to like, or do you just drop that on them during that shoot? I just drop it on them. Yeah. Because then they'll be shocked and then they go, oh, that's fucking cool. Like, oh, that's fun. And sometimes they do get nervous to take photos because they assume the camera I'm giving them is really expensive. You know, they assume that it's this really serious thing. So I just go, hey guys, like, this is for something fun. I'm going to give you this camera. You guys can take photos of each other, take photos of fucking leaves. I don't give a shit. Anything cool that you see, just take a photo of it, right? Nice. And sometimes I won't do it, but I'll be like, hey, guys, just like, Steve, you guys stand over there and Michelle, just take a photo of him. Just see what happens. Mm. And then mm. I might say, while she's taking that photo, I'm like, come on, Steve, be like a tiger, right? <laughs> like, and have some fun about it, you know? And then encourage them to do that. And once they, once I sort of encourage them to get a few photos, then they feel a bit more comfortable with it. Beautiful. And then they start taking heaps more shots. I did a story recently where I took a photo of the couple taking photos of each other and then I put mm-hmm. the photos next to each other, which was really oh, yeah. cool because I'm taking a photo of them taking that photo and then I put it next to the shot that they took. So nice. it's really cool. I have multiple perspectives of the same moment. It is interesting when you think about it, and this is um, it surprises me that I haven't done this earlier, but when we book a photographer, when a couple books a photographer, we're, we're getting paid to give them our perspective of their day. Right? Yes. But as a couple... You know, I've been married before and I remember the moments that I remember are from my perspective, from what I see with my eyes. You know, if I'm getting married to my spouse standing opposite me and the photographer is standing 10 metres over there, that's not what I'm remembering from over there. I remember from here, right? Mm. And I remember like I just thinking like, fuck, it would have been great to have a GoPro on you. You know, just remember that (laughs) perspective. But, Mm. you know, you don't want to do that. So it's like I just remember that. And we always have moments, man, in life where you look at something or you might look at your partner or whatever in this light that just doesn't seem, might not seem beautiful. You might be sitting on the lounge, you might be fucking drunk and eating packets of chips or something. And you might look at your partner in that light and go, fuck, I love you. You know, and they're the moments that are beautiful, man. And like, that's why I've always got a camera on me because I will look at that, that moment and I'll go, that's beautiful absorb it, enjoy it, and have the camera just by my waist and just photograph it. Just, I don't want to even look at the settings. I don't give a fuck if it's blurry, out of focus, whatever, because I remember that that photo was taken during the moment of how I felt. So when I look mm. at that photo, it brings back that feeling because it's from my perspective, you know? So it's like, I'm like, why the fuck haven't I done this earlier in my career to give couples cameras to photograph stuff that they feel? Mm. Because it's about them, not my shots, not my perspective. It's about their perspective and how they feel. So they should be able to capture and document it in how they want and remember it from their perspective as well. It's really beautiful when you think about it. You said um, play and have fun. 
I interviewed Sean Bell last week, Scottish wedding photographer, and I put up a question on my Instagram and said, are there any questions you want me to ask Sean, right? And I had every single question I had there and same as myself was asking about his processes and all of this and how he gets couples in this amazing locations, you know? And it was funny, the, the episode only dropped this morning. Sean's been in the industry 15 years and created some amazing things and, and you know, lives in Scottish Highlands, like <laughs> pretty purity, pretty nice Horrible place to create place. some amazing things. Horrible place to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> tough, <laughs> tough, right? But he said something, he said he transitions now. He doesn't have structure. He doesn't have the, you know, the, what the outside world see is like, oh, that's a perfect pose. How did he do that? Like, does he have the flashcards out of these new things that are rocking? Fucking crazy. But he's <laughs> like, dude, I just like have fun. And like, I definitely don't like nail it every time. But I got, he said, I got like, you know, don't quote me, but he said he got so bored in the industry after 15 years. He knew the work that he loves. So he was just like, hey, why can't I freelance? Why can't I do, you know, out of mm. focus? Maybe not lean as so much in, as as you have, mm. but to keep his creativity thriving mm-hmm. and him longevity, he was like, dude, I had to be, have fun mm. because before it was it was so rigid because mm. we all start photography generally as a hobby and then it turns into a business and then we lose a hobby, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> cool. Now, the last little thing I want to talk about here, I know you've gone through a wedding, you've gone through a divorce, and all that, whether Joel's ever going to get married again or not going to get married again, I don't want to know that answer. <laughs> I'm, sure some, I'm sure someone does, but I don't want to know that. But off the cuff, if I said to you, hey, bro, what would your wedding look like today? Oh, what would, oh dude, I've, yeah. Look, <laughs> and I will, I will one day. And it's funny though, because when you look at people getting married, getting married is actually like this really black and white unromantic process. You're legally bound to someone else. That's what getting married is. If you live Mm. with someone for five years, you have exactly all the same rights as getting married. So you you don't need to do it. It's completely unessential to our life. Maybe you get some tax things and change your last name and a pretty ring and a kiss, right? That's all you get from it. So it's like non-essential to your life. But how I see marriages, especially for myself, if I was to get married again, I want I think marriages should be seen as a celebration of what you have had with your partner and that you want more of it going into the future. It's just a celebration of like what you've already got and what you want more of in the future. So, and I've thought of all these things of what I want to do and I'd make sure the day, and it wouldn't even be a day, man. Like I know I'm flying over to the States. I'm buying one of my dream motorbikes, which is like a old school, like Harley knucklehead, hardtail, chopper like fucking ratty and dirty as shit like breaking down every five meters that's what i want and we'll do route 66 and we'll stay at dodgy shitty hotels and eat at weird fucking cafes and restaurants and just do like a month-long road trip on this bike and i want a photographer to come at like for the whole trip and a celebrant which will just be mates of mine because you know Mm -hmm. obviously i've got a lot of friends that are celebrants and photographers and i just want them to come with me and then at just some stage throughout the trip i'll be like hey, this moment is fucking sick, sitting in this restaurant, eating these filthy burgers with all these neon lights around. Can we just get married now? And we're like, yeah, cool, let's just do it now. And then we just get married and then we just continue the road trip. So I pretty much just want to do a road trip, explore and like take my rock climbing stuff. So if I see like somewhere I really want to climb, I'll just go climbing. Like I'm just going to make a holiday, (laughs) my dream holiday, and just take a celebrant and a photographer with me and just get married at some stage. That's all I want to do. And whatever happens, like I want no plans. I just want to bike and Route 66. That's all I want, you know, and freedom <laughs> and just get married at some stage. So that's my dream. 
it's not even a dream day. It's my dream month, you know, and then just get married at some stage. That's a fucking story. Instead of like booking a venue with hay bales and festoon lights and wearing something I'd never wear again. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, not, Joel, for it's sure. not me and it's not a lot of couples. So, you know, I'm just trying to think of something real. That's real for me. I didn't give a fuck what the world sees. I just want it to be representative. And actually, I'll actually want to say that was the best day of my life or that was mm. the best fucking trip of my life, you know, because people always say, Wedding day was the best day of my life. I'm like, well, look, if you have a traditional wedding, yes, it's going to be a good day, but it's going to be one of many pinnacles in your life because you have kids, you buy a house, you do lots sure. of travel. So, yeah, I actually want to try and make it one of the best days of my life. And that's how I do it for me. Man, you can see you light up when you talk about this. Hey, yeah, I can just, I just, yeah. <laughs> like, what about the juxtaposition between, are you happy to speak about, like, not, not the divorce or anything, but like how the other actual wedding was? Was that a standard wedding, you know, white dress, suit, et cetera? It wasn't standard. So it's funny because my previous, it, I eloped. It was definitely more along the anteloping business. Uh, that yep. was the whole reason I actually started anteloping because when I was planning my elopement, I was like, this is all the stuff I want to do. Why isn't there anyone else out there offering it? And then I just, just created it. So yeah, we we never been to Tassie. Uh, it was actually kind of similar. Actually, when I think about it, we planned a month long trip to Tassie in the camper van. And right in the middle, we booked this accommodation for three days. We just went there and I wore like a, like black jeans, hiking boots and a sort of sports coat. My partner wore a white dress that she got off um, Still White. So she spent like 500 bucks on this Lover the Label dress, which was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She had a Lenny the Label like green velvet jacket. So, you know, we definitely made it unique and it mm. wasn't really following traditions and we just spent all afternoon adventuring around really cool locations with, with the photographer and videographer and got some cool photos and just had a really good big family meal at night. So yeah, it was, it's sort of similar actually, except my culture, I guess, has changed a little bit. So yeah, the first time I got married, it was more an elopement style, but yeah, it was a fucking great day. You know, I still reflect on that day and go, that was fucking awesome. Like I, there's nothing I'd change about that you know, cause it was who I was then. Mm. And, um, I celebrated that and we did all the things that I was passionate about, you know, camper vans, traveling, we did all that sort of stuff on the day, but now I've changed, you know, and I want it to be about motorbikes and road trips and hotels and shit, you know, it's a weird shit. When Joel was growing up, did you ever feel like you were just like generalized? I don't want to use the word an outskirt here. Cause I think it has the wrong term perceived on it when i say outskirt i mean the purple cow which you know which is the unique one out of the herd this the someone that has a personality trait that shines or or does something differently right like when you were growing up did you have that in you the whole way through or did you lean into that later it was definitely a different it was a later process for sure but in the early stages like i mean my whole life when i was younger was based around soccer so i played like soccer at quite a high level and mm-hmm. I've had three knee operations by the time I was 19. So it was full on. Like I was representing yep. like Australia and like, you know, it was it was pretty awesome. So a lot of my life was based around my sport. I was training five days a week and playing three games on a weekend. And mm-hmm. I remember over five years, I had two weeks of off season. So it was like full on. I was always quite shy which was, you know, you wouldn't believe, I guess now. Mm. <laughs> I was quite introverted and shy in my early days because I was just focusing on my sport. I got bullied a lot when I was a kid by how I looked. So, yeah, I was quite like, and, you know, we could definitely unpack uh, another 
podcast if you wanted to go down this route. I could unpack all my mum's stuff, but that made me very introverted and shy. So yeah, it, it came until I was probably about 19 when I made the decision to try and cut mum out of my life a lot and take back control of my life. I started finding myself again and focusing on myself instead of being the parent to my mum. So yeah, it was probably from 19 to 20 and onwards, I started to do a lot of that self-exploring and recognizing who I was and um, coming more towards the Joel that I am now. But yeah, early growing up, I was definitely different, but it was in a polar opposite the way that I am now. Are you happy to dive into a bit of mum? Because it sounds like sure, mum's really created the Joel that we see now. Yeah. And um, you've gone through a lot of things here. Are you happy to dive into how that's kind of played out in your life, man? Yeah, dude. So look, I think... You know, there's obviously so many traumatic memories there, but I remember seeing a Tony Robbins fucking thing. If for anything, it was Tony Robbins that got me in this, which is crazy. (laughs) But I remember him putting a quote out there and I remember him saying that if you're going to blame someone for all the bad that's come out of your life, you need to blame them for all the good that's come out too. And I was like, fuck, well, I need to be eternally grateful for my mom because Mm. my mom, I never felt good enough. Because when I was playing, I went over to man. I went over to Europe and played in a played against AC Milan and like Kaffenberg and all these places in Austria and Italy. Like I was there for like three weeks training and playing. Right, and I come back and I remember standing next to my mum and she was talking to other parents and she said to the parents, she's like, "Yeah, my son just came back from Europe. We keep getting phone calls from AC Milan for him to go play over there." And I'm like my first thought that came into my head was like, I went over there representing Australia. Is that not good enough? So then, man, from that moment and from when I was younger, it was like everything, I was not good enough, right? So then that's been my my determining drive. Like my whole initial drive was like, I'm going to fucking make photography work. I'm going to prove to that fucking bitch, sorry, that I'm, I am good enough and I am good enough. So a lot of the early drive for Joel came to proving my mum wrong because she did say, I've got memories of like her getting real pissed at night and picking up a phone in the, our house and she'd be calling my dad, telling her how horrible of a son I am and that I'm misogynistic and that I'll never amount to anything. How could you, he treats people like this, you know, like it was really negative. And I, that was from when I was like fucking eight, you know, mm. I heard that shit from when I was like, you know, a younger man, like five even, you know? So I just got completely annihilated from my mum, like self-confidence and everything. It was just fucking brutal. Like she was not my mum. She mm-hmm. gave birth to me, but she was not my mum. And um, so a lot of my early driving factors was to prove her wrong. And mm-hmm. then once I figured out that Tony Robbins thing, I was like, man, eternally grateful, you know? Like I'll never have anything to do with her ever again. And if I ran into her, I know I would just be full of adrenaline and anger and I would just have to walk away because I would just be like, there's so much that I'd want to say that I just, there's no point because I'm actually really happy with who I am now and how I've gotten here. You know, just like we said, man, like in the, when I hit rock bottom before COVID, I was grateful for that because it made me realize that I was there and I could come out of it. So with all that mum stuff, I had to learn to reflect and be grateful for that process because Man, she was the main reason. Her and my dad, but my dad gave me the good things. My mum gave me these things, which is my drive to prove that I am good enough. But I do have self, like underlying issues of um, insecurities of not feeling good enough. Like every time I drop my son back to my mum, I feel this immediate sense of, um, fuck, I'll 
I wasn't good enough for him that, this weekend. Like I looked at my phone mm-hmm. that one time and didn't give him attention or I raised my voice that one time, you know, because he was wow. playing up. So every single time I dropped my son back to his mom, I'm like, fuck, I failed. I wasn't a good dad. I'm not good enough. You know, so it still plays in me every day now. Every single day I have that feeling of I'm not good enough and it definitely sends from my mum. But I am grateful for it because it is something that does drive me every single day within my business and my art because I'm not good enough that I have to prove to myself that I am good enough. And I'm not striving to be good enough because I know that for me that's probably unrealistic, but that's where my growth value comes from to continue growing, you know? So yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. I'm sorry if I'm getting a bit jittery at the moment, obviously no, like something that I don't talk about very often with my mom. I haven't definitely. really spoken ever about on a podcast, but I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. I just didn't know people, I didn't know anyone would ask me. So yeah, I'm sort of getting a bit, how are you going? But dude, let's keep, I'm more than, I'm more than happy to talk about it, you know? Because we, we are all products of our history and we have Most to- definitely appreciate and recognize all aspects of our history, good mm. and bad, because that's who we are. It's real. And, and I, I mean, I, I'm feeling it, man. Like I, I appreciate the vulnerability in explaining this because yeah, not many podcasts go deep in this stuff, right? <laughs> and we all have our backstory. Until you found gratitude after listening to Tony Robbins and be, until you became grateful for what mum gave you and you were resentful prior to that, do you ever feel like if you didn't find gratitude that you wouldn't have made it out? Oh, man. Of the headspace, at least. Yeah. Oh, man. Sorry. Yeah, it was... Um, I, th- I would have. Just would have been a different way, I think. Maybe I just would have driven so much of me just through spite and that's not a healthy way to do it. Because mm. a lot of that, a lot of my drive came through proving her wrong. So... It was a negative energy, mm. you know. It was the negative. It was a spiteful thing. It wasn't for the. It wasn't for good. It was for bad. Mm. So, um, oh man, it took a lot of time and a lot of fucking hurt and a lot of fucking trauma. But yeah, I'm very grateful for it now. But man, even just hearing you say that, I was like, fuck, man. Like, do I have to be grateful for that picture? You know, mm. but like. I got to be, and it's hard, man. It's hard to look back on the trauma that I've got. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to unload the really bad shit, but it's hard for me to think about that because it's so apparent. It's so clear in my mind. I can just see the image, you know, and it's really fucking Mm. hard to look at and look at and then be like, I'm grateful for that. You know, it's hard, Mm. but um, you just got to be, you know, and it took me a long time, man. Fuck, man, 15 years of fucking counselling to even get to the point where I am now and even now it's still affecting me. So it's a never ending process, but yeah, at least I know that my drive and my, my growth value comes from a good place now, not a, not a spiteful place, but yeah, it was just a, it's a hard process, man. It always is psychology and working on trauma and it's never easy, but um, I, I, it was important to me to show to my son like adversity and perseverance and, and show to drive and grow in a positive way, not out of spite because I knew that wasn't healthy, man. It drove me every day, but it was just full of red. It was red, man. Like mm. if my dad mentioned the word mum, if I heard anyone say the word mum or like yellow was a big thing because it was my mum's favourite colours, sunflowers, mm-hmm. man, I would just... I remember getting to a point, dad and I had a conversation once and he told me something about mum. I don't even remember what he said because I blacked out and I ended up flipping tables and throwing plates. I'll be like, I don't want to fucking hear about her anymore. Like, mm-hmm. 
you know, but, and it just was hectic, man, you know, like it was, I was in a really bad place when I was like, this was like early twenties, late teens. It's like, what a shit time to have so much mm. anger, you know? And I had to do a lot of process to get there and it was really shit and uncomfortable. And every psych session was full of crying and tears and unloading and not really even talking much. Cause I just couldn't, cause I'd be uncontrollably sobbing and just full of so much anger. But, um, yeah, man, it, that was the driving force for so long in a negative way. And I just, I couldn't have that anymore. It was tiring and it was impacting my relationships. It was impacting my relationship with my dad because I'd just be angry, you know, I'd just flip mm. that switch and just see red and be violent. And that's not who I am. But it was, it was like, I, I felt like I needed that. Cause I was like, this is what's going to get me that fucking business. This is what's going to make me travel the world and earn all that money and be successful. I'll show that fucking bitch, you know? Sorry. I know this is getting very aggressive at the moment, but yeah, I want to be vulnerable, but yeah, it, it was, I thought I needed that back then, but it's definitely a lot more productive to, to grow out of passion and love and positiveness rather than negative spite. Like I was. So yeah, I'm grateful. <laughs> Hey, my uh, my hairs on my arms are standing up that whole time. I'm probably holding a few things back, and I'm sure you are, my man. It's amazing being a parent, how you are now, Joel, as a father. And I'm sure you look back, and you obviously look at your parenting, and you you deal with a lot of things where you're, you know, oh, I wasn't a great parent at this, but it's a, it shows your true strength, dude. Fifteen years of counseling. Most people don't do fifteen minutes because they don't want to have that time. Like truly, like you are so fucking strong. Yeah. Like I said, most people don't do 15 minutes of sitting there and opening up with someone and you did 15 years mm. and still struggle with it today, but you have a great understanding of what a great father is and you know where you're underlining issues, which everyone has them. Mm. I want to, bro, I want to acknowledge you, man. Like the vulnerability the uncomfortability to share how you're still transitioning and leaning it. Like last year when I, I, well, I think we did it one even a couple of years before that, but where I see your energy now and, and the smile you have talking about your life and just your posts on Instagram, I see them and I'm just like, oh, man, I know it's from a true place here. I don't know your backstory until today. And there's a lot more there as well. But the groundwork you've done, my man, is, is truly strength for all of us to un understand that how strong you truly are and, and the transition that you've made and why you do what you do. You know what I mean? Like why Joel has these analogies about weddings and where that stems from and where you are today. Like truly, you are the purple cow. You are the... <laughs> purple painted cow in that herd that stops people in their tracks like that videographer yesterday, man, his face lit up when he seen your work. And we actually had to go and shoot speeches and he was scrolling and I'm like, oi, <laughs> oi, come over. And I wanted to share that with you today, man, because I know we're all locked down and COVID and all this bullshit, but from the outside being in different States, seeing what you're creating today, Joel, and the life that you're creating, it just shows to all of us that you're never too old to dig into it deep, man. So I want to acknowledge you for being here, Joel, and um, man, opening up, bro. Like, I think uh, I'll probably have to walk away and have a have a shower. I'm sweating, man. Like, <laughs> Dude, you're telling you. me. <laughs> Fuck hell. Yeah. No, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I think it's something that I've always tried to pride myself in with my educational stuff because it's funny. We always talk about marketing and branding and growing, mm. but no one ever really talks about where we come from. And that 
is such a fucking driving force, man. Like I said before, we're all products of our history. And for someone that is driven or, you know, Ryan Millhead, you mentioned him before, man. Yeah. He's a fucking prime example. Have you heard that mm. dude's past? It's like, man, like no wonder he creates Heavy. the work that he does, you know? Mm. Like it, he wouldn't be the same if he went in and started just talking about shooting because he needs to talk about his past because people need to understand where that comes from for him. And like, mm. you know, the fuck traditions thing for me is like, because I had such a traumatic family dynamic, it's like every Christmas or every birthday would be seen as this day that mm. you're supposed to suppress what you really feel because it's family, like it's Christmas. So I'd see those big events as fake. Like mm. still to this day, I struggle with Christmas, even with my son, because I'm like, oh, I don't want to put on this big fucking show because, but I'm like, no, like we, our life is actually good here. You know, there's no mm. bad things I shouldn't be ashamed of celebrating these days now, but it's always been really hard for me. So in the early stages, weddings were seen as this big thing that was fake. Because if I ever went to a friend, like a family member's wedding, it was like, there's fucking so much family mm. trauma here, but we have to put it aside for family. And there'd always be fucking someone in tears. And I was like, what the fuck's the point of this, you know? So, yeah, there's a reason. Like, And I think people look at me and they just think I'm aggressive or they think that my, my approach is a bit aggressive or in your face and a bit trying to cut others down. And that's not the fucking case. Like I very intentionally and consciously think about everything. Everything that I say comes from me actually thinking about it. It's not me trying to destroy. It's me trying to build and grow it myself and others, you know? So I think people definitely, like when I did an interview podcast with Atkins a while ago, Paul was like, man, I just thought you were a shit stirrer. I'm like, well, look, I am. My, my, my approach is definitely maybe rattle the cage, but it's very intentional. It's very conscious, you know? It's not me just trying to do it for the sake of fucking look at me. There's an actual reason why I say all this sort of stuff. And that's a lot of my history, man. Like I haven't really unpacked any of that stuff that I just said to you, but there's like, that's like, one thirtieth of what fucking is driving me, you know? So I could definitely do a whole podcast based around my drive, I guess, but that'll be for another day. But yeah, this is why I'm vulnerable and I hope someone gets something out of it. If they don't, you know, then I, I, all I can do is tell people what I know and what I'm passionate about. And if that connects with someone, great. And if it doesn't, then I tried, you know? Mate, I think um, people get a lot of out of this and I, I, I'm personally going to get a lot out of this. Uh, I love it so much. And I think we definitely do need to do a follow-up because I know the business is in a transition phase at the moment. It's kind of fresh. I'd love to follow up in you know, a couple of months, six months or so and see where the Joel is now, the work he's creating. It's more implemented. Hopefully COVID fucks off after yeah. January yeah, yeah. And, and we can all get back to the thing. So again, acknowledge you for being here, my man. I know you have a busy day ahead and stuff like that your time is so valuable and also your friendship and for all the listeners out there, guys, I'll tag all the Joel's accounts. Um, so you can go check out his work. Joel's a legend. So I'm sure he's happy. If you have any questions or anything, you can hit him up about any gears or yeah, his work, you're going to be blown away. So, um, if you don't want to scroll for the day, probably don't look on the, that, that day because <laughs> I love seeing it, my man. And, um, hope to see you on route 66. That'd yes. be incredible. Rhyme your head behind you on a motorbike or something. That would just be next level. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks heaps for having us on again and and giving me the space to yeah share all that, dude. I appreciate it. And um yeah, I appreciate you and your friendship, dude. And you're doing so many good things for the world as well, man. So yeah, thank you for everything that you're doing. And yeah, this has been great. And we'd love to keep in touch, especially do another catch up in a couple of months. Let's do it. Mm-hmm.